Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Neil Howard. Thank you so much for joining us for another segment of Health Professional Radio. In this segment, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Michael Yoon, joining us here from Massachusetts Eye and Ear to talk about his study on 3D printing for orbital reconstruction after trauma or tumors. Data was presented at the 2022 American Academy of Ophthalmology annual meeting. Welcome to Health Professional Radio, Dr. Michael Yoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Neil. Pleasure to be on. Tell us a bit about yourself and uh, your role at Massachusetts Eye and Ear. Great. I'd be happy to. I am an ophthalmologist at Mass Eye and Ear, of course, and I practice a subspecialty called oculoplastic surgery. Mm-hmm. And this is a subspecialty where, although I'm an eye doctor, I primarily operate and care for areas that are all around the eye. And that includes the eyelids, the skeleton of the face, Mm -hmm. as well as the eye socket and the surrounding areas. At Mass Eye and Ear, my role is as a surgeon and clinician, which means I see patients there. I also perform clinical research, and my academic appointment is as an associate professor of ophthalmology at Harvard Medical School. What is 3D printing for orbital reconstruction, and why is it so important? I think this technology has the ability in the right hands, in the right scenarios, to really transform how we treat patients with certain kinds of injuries to the face, to the area around the eye socket after injury or after removal of things like tumors of the face. 3D printing is something that's really come into the mainstream or at least accessibility in the past five to seven years. And in that time, year over year, we've seen growth in the applications of this technology and learning what types of patients are best to uh, receive a implant such as this. A 3D implant, as we think about it, has a few definitions, but I think the most important one and the most promising one is one where a implant is custom made for an individual patient in the individual body part that's affected. And this is manufactured from imaging or a CAT scan. And so the manufacturer has the ability to take that scan and create an ideal model of what a injured body part or missing part of bone might look like And they can create, they've created the ability to fabricate and manufacture implants that will exactly and perfectly fit into the area of missing or abnormal bone or tissue. As far as the go-to technology before 3D printing, what were some of the challenges? Are we looking at the same challenges with 3D printed parts? This technology is a departure from the previous, which is primarily going to be relatively flat sheets of implant. The type of 3D printing for this application is a rigid structure that's meant to replace injured or missing bone. And so this is sort of a skeleton or bone replacement type of an implant. And historically, the only available implant material was a a flat sheet, sort of like a thin piece of cardboard. And it did come in different shape, uh, different thicknesses, 
But if you wanted to shape one into a specific shape for the patient, then you would just need to cut it or bend it really by hand, which in a lot of situations is successful, but in certain types of injuries, traumas, and if bone is missing from tumor removal, especially in areas where the bone is thick or has normally would have irregular or smooth contours, then taking a flat sheet of implant like cardboard and trying to make a three-dimensional object out of it can be really challenging to do. And so this implant replaces the need to try to do it by hand and will allow for that perfectly made implant. But again, this is for replacing missing bone or abnormal bone. What are some of the key takeaways from your presentation at this year's annual meeting? And in what ways do you think this needs to be studied further? Uh, The key takeaways from what I've found in using these materials are this. Number one, I think finding the right patient in whom to use something like this is going to be really key. It's another tool that surgeons have in order to treat patients. And it takes the right tool in the right situation to really make that work. For this specifically, I wouldn't recommend an implant like this for what we would consider to be routine injuries or fractures around the eye or parts of the face. The existing technology for that has done really a remarkable job at doing what it needs to. However, in certain situations, it really can be a game changer. And that those situations include injuries that have either had previous surgery where the result was not as uh, ideal as expected or as hoped, or if there's been a long delay and that has resulted in further alteration of the injured bone and soft tissue that makes a traditional or flat implant um, would make that less successful. Uh, In terms of future challenges, one of the things that I have witnessed is although the implant can give a ideal manufactured idea of what a perfect implant might be like, that certainly does a good job at replacing bone. However, we are learning how much the effects of tumor removal or trauma on the soft tissue have to do with replacing these uh, body, uh, replacing these injured areas. So for example, if there is injury and the bone is broken, there also may be atrophy of fat. And replacing the bone perfectly will give a good result, but there still might be some lost volume from that injured fat or soft tissue. And so what we're learning is how we might try to compensate for that lost tissue by, for example, making an even larger implant that can offset some of that change that happens after an injury or after time passes. Another point that we're also learning about is that there are several different materials and material types and manufacturers that make these implants. I think they can all be successful and 
like all implants, there are pros and cons to each of them. And I think as we as a society and a group of surgeons who operate in this region of the body, hopefully we'll learn which implants, uh, if any, have a more successful outcome in, for example, the mid face versus the lower face. And so it'll be exciting to see how that pans out over the coming several years to decade. Well, is there anything that you'd like to add for our listeners? And then give us a website where we can learn more about Massachusetts Eye and Ear. The website for our hospital is www.masseyeandear.org. Well, Dr. Yoon, I appreciate your time this evening. Thank you so much for joining us here on Health Professional Radio. Neil, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be on. You've been listening to Health Professional Radio. I'm your host, Neil Howard, in conversation with Dr. Michael Yoon. Audio copies of this program are available at hpr.fm and healthprofessionalradio.com.au. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And be sure and subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com, Health Professional Radio.